there was this boy named Jimmy who hated the bad times and he hated the in-between times and he wanted to live only the good times. Well, one day he found this magical watch that allowed him to skip past the bad times and the in-between times and jump forward to the good times. Now, wouldn't you like to own a watch like that? Well, of course, Jimmy skipped his days at school. He skipped his meals and went to the dessert only. He skipped past rainy days so that the sun always shined. He skipped baseball practice and went to the fun stuff of the games. He even skipped past all the other batters so that he was the only one who got his turn at bats. Well, life seemed to be going okay for Jimmy in this world of escape until he found himself getting weaker and weaker from all the skipped meals. He wasn't playing so well in baseball because of all the skipped practices. Jimmy's world of escape and not living the bad times and not living the in-between times, but skipping those wasn't God's plan at all. You see, Jimmy forgot about living today. That children's story speaks to what is at stake if we would, could really skip past the bad times and the in-between times. Yet there are moments in days when we would love to own such a magical watch, wouldn't we? One man said things were going really bad, and his friend told him, cheer up, things could be worse. So I cheered up, and things got worse. <laughs> you feel that way? Ever wish you could live in, in some world of escape? Don't you wish you could simply fast forward to the good times? Well, our passage this morning in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, in essence says, bad is better. And you may wonder as you read this section of Solomon with his under-the-sun perspective that maybe he's gotten too much sun. He's going to say things like, it's better to go to a morgue than to a party. He says that sorrow is better than laughter. I mean, is Solomon losing his mind? The day of death is better than the day of birth. What? A sad face is good for the heart. Now you might wish right now you had a magical watch. You could skip past this sermon. It doesn't sound like it's going to be upbeat. Well, we are roughly halfway through the book of Ecclesiastes, and the theme has been the futility of life without God. And when we live with the under-the-sun perspective, remember, life is maddening, life is frustrating, because you can't seem to get the colors to line up on all four sides. Life just doesn't line up the way you'd like it to. As we've been making our way through this book of the Bible, we have been challenged to live for what really matters in life. And as we come to chapter 7, something changes. The style of writing is different. Beginning with chapter 7, there is a word that gets a lot of attention. It will show up 34 times from this point forward. It is the word wisdom. Wisdom. What matters as we go through life is gaining the perspective of wisdom. 
Wisdom doesn't guarantee that you won't have trouble, but it does guarantee you can get through it. It is wisdom that sees us through life's heartaches and troubles. Our passage today reminds us that because of wisdom, there is always a way through what you are going through. I believe it was, it was Robert Frost who said, the best way out is always through. Hang on to that. In other words, the higher road, which is the harder road, is the better way. And that is what chapter 7 in Ecclesiastes is all about. Turn there and look with me, if you're not there, in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And as we go through this section of Scripture, it may feel like you're kind of making your way through a box of dry cereal to get to the prize at the bottom. Well, stay with me. Wisdom's prize is better than gold's. Solomon here gives in chapter 7 a series of Proverbs, several contrasting couplets to say this is better than that. Eight times in 14 verses we find the word better. And he starts out in verse 1 by stating, a good name is better than fine perfume. Now in the Hebrew there's a play on words here that's kind of lost in our translations. Because the word name and the word perfume sound a lot alike in the Hebrew. Shem and Shemen. So Shem is better than Shemen. Perfume or, or cologne may make you smell better, but it doesn't make you better. Outwardly, we may smell good. We may even look pretty good. But that isn't what life is all about. It is a good name. Now, what are the two days of our life in which our name is most prominent? Well, the day of our birth and the day of our death is what he kind of says there in the end of verse 1. Now, have you noticed that those two dates in an obituary notice are separated by what? A single dash. 1960, 2010, dash, right? Single dash, that's all it is. What happens between these two days, which is represented by that single dash in our obituary, determines whether we have a good name or not. Name has to do with your reputation. It has to do with your character. It's about who you are when no one else is looking. Wise people are concerned about how they are living life each day in that dash, how they're living life each day, even the bad days. And the rest of these verses address that question. How then should we live? I'm sure you're aware of the question often used in witnessing. It's if you were to die tonight, do you know for certain that you'd go to heaven? That's an okay question. But perhaps we should also be asking, if you were to wake up tomorrow, do you know how you're going to live? <laughs> it's not a bad question also. Your relationship with God has very practical ramifications. And this is where wisdom really matters, especially when trouble hits. And so I want to, as this passage unfolds, I want to look at lessons we can learn in times of trouble and then some dangers we need to watch out for in times of trouble. Okay, so first of all, let's look at a few lessons we can learn in times of trouble in verses 2 through 6. Look at verse 2. 
We're going to stop there. Look at verse 2. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting. Now, why is going to a funeral better than going to a feast? I mean, when's the last time you got excited about going to a funeral home? I mean, wouldn't you prefer to avoid that if you could? Kind of fast forward past that one? Do you know that there are actually, I believe this is the case, I saw it written somewhere, that there are some drive-through mortuaries. Now, stay with me. For the convenience of time-pressed mourners, the deceased is displayed before a five-by-seven picture window. So you can pay your last respects without getting out. I mean, let's not get inconvenient here. I mean, this just strikes me as, as wrong. Wrong. Let's fly right by through this as fast as we can. We can even rush past staring at the stark reality of death. That's a shame. Solomon's saying a funeral home is a great classroom. It transforms our values. When we stare death in the face, it transforms our values. It's a true story that comes from the sinking of the Titanic. A woman was granted three minutes to grab what she needed before getting onto the lifeboat. And she ran across the deck. She raced through the gambling room with all the money that had rolled to one side right there. She went right past it. She came to her room and she quickly pushed aside her diamond rings and expensive necklaces and bracelets as she reached to the shelf way above her bed and she grabbed three small oranges. She found her way back to the lifeboat and got in. That's all that mattered. Even 30 minutes earlier, she would not have chosen a crate of oranges over even the smallest diamond. But death had boarded the Titanic. And instantaneously, priceless things had become worthless, and and worthless things had become priceless. And in that moment, she preferred three small oranges to a crate of diamonds. See, staring death in the face gives you that kind of wisdom. It transforms our values of what really matters. Well, he goes on in verse 4, and he says, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. When troubles come, wise people go through the pain in order to come out on the other side stronger, wiser, and closer to the Lord. When troubles come, foolish people go to the house of pleasure. Fools go have another drink. They go have more sex. They turn to some quick fix. They eat more chocolate. They go to that buffet. They buy that new outfit. Any diversion in order not to have to deal with pain, with reality. And that's a shame. We find here then what he's saying is Scott Peck reminds us of this in his book of the tunnel of pain. And that in the tunnel of pain is where we uncover hurts and we face our troubles and we go through life's difficulties in order to come out on the other side where we can enjoy the light of God's truth. Wisdom says the best way out is always through. Sometimes, folks, we have to go through that tunnel of pain. Skiers know that if they want to drive from Denver to to Vail, Colorado, they have to go through the Eisenhower Tunnel. Even if they dislike tunnels, 
If they wanted to make it to that ski slope, that ski area, they have to go through that tunnel. Likewise, no matter how unpleasant the tunnel of pain is, there's no other route to authentic Christianity. Believe it or not, the highest purpose in life is not your happiness. It's your holiness. No one grows biblically wise who lives the party life and who refuses to deal with the troubles of life. What matters in life is gaining the perspective of wisdom. And if you take the easy way, you will not gain wisdom. You will only form a habit of escaping reality. One writer put it this way. He said, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and never a word said she, but all the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. Oh, the lessons to be learned in times of trouble and sorrow. Now, how does wisdom get us through the troubles in life? How how can we make it through rather than around our problems? Here's another lesson we need to learn in times of trouble is we need friends. We need friends. Wise people surround themselves with not only those who pat their backs, but who will also give them a little kick here and there. Look at what it says in verse 5. It is better to heed a wise man's rebuke than to listen to the song of fools. Proverbs 27 verse 5 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Now here we are, it's Valentine's Day, so turn to the one you love and give him a rebuke. No, just kidding. Maybe you did that driving in. No, hang on. But good luck finding a Hallmark card that says something about that, right? Verse 6 in Ecclesiastes 7 here uses an analogy that may be very difficult for us to understand. It speaks of the crackling of thorns under a pot. The picture is of branches of a thorn bush being thrown on a fire in order to heat something up quickly. Those branches would cause the fire to flame up with rapid intensity providing a short, hot burn. Flattery flames up, but is gone quickly. That's what it's saying. Now, we need compliments and we need encouragement. Mark Twain used to say, I can live for two months on a good compliment. Well, he's a better man than I am. I don't know that I can go two months on just one, but he says he can. But the point here that Solomon's saying as well is, we, we just don't grow on praise alone. If all we hear is others singing our praise, then we'll not be wiser for it. And you know what? We live in a society where we're to avoid conflict. We're encouraged to only say that which is politically correct. Why? We might upset someone. Heavens, that'd be terrible. Don't say that. You can't say that here. Avoid conflict. Don't say the hard thing. Some of us heard growing up, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Really. Think about that. Now, I'm not suggesting we go around and tell everyone we meet exactly what is on our mind. The goal is to be edification now, not just selfishly feeling better. But love speaks truth. How loving is it of me to be so nice that I don't say the hard thing to you? 
Proverbs 27, verse 6 reminds us that wounds from a friend can be trusted. And how much do you really love me to see something in my life and not lovingly rebuke me for it? Now, I'm speaking of constructive criticism and not biting criticism. But can you imagine what you would be like if no one ever rebuked you? And let me ask you this. Have you given others permission to share a word of rebuke or advice when necessary? Are you listening to the rebuke of others or you get defensive and you get prideful? Are you listening to the rebuke of another person, a rebuke from that teacher or or your boss or a coach or your spouse or your, your dad or your mom or a friend? It's better to heed it, it says here. It's better to heed it. A wise reflection instead of deflection. I have this quote over my desk because I need to be reminded of this often. It says of criticism, people may miss the bullseye, but they may have hit the target. You want to grow wise? Find the truth in that criticism. Even if they wasn't a direct hit, even if they didn't get a bullseye, they might have hit the target. Grab it. Heat it. And you'll grow wiser for it. Well, Solomon moves from some lessons in times of trouble to some dangers we need to watch out for in times of trouble in verses 7 through 10. Well, when trouble hits, when we have those bad days, there are some dangers to watch out for in our response to them. Look at verse 7. It says, extortion turns a wise man into a fool and a bribe corrupts the heart. Now, here's the first danger that we need to watch out for when life gets hard, and that is to take a shortcut. Watch out for it. When we are up to our eyeballs in trouble, whether it be financial or relational issue, we're tempted to take the easy way out. A bribe is anything that you would sell yourself out for in the name of convenience or to lessen the pain. That bribe comes in many forms. That bribe may come as an answer key to those questions on the test that's going to guarantee you a better grade, but you'd be cheating if you looked at them. That's the easy way. Don't take it. That bribe may come for you at work where it would be easier to cut some corners or give the customer a little less than you contracted for or turn in a phony expense report. It is the easy way. Don't take it. That bribe may come to us in our marriage where it's more exciting to engage in some extramarital flirtation or having that little fling or not dealing with that hard issue that keeps coming between us for intimacy. That is the easy way. Don't take it. It may show up in your parenting. We might be tempted to buy your kids approval rather than spend time with them. We're tolerating sinful behavior rather than doing the hard work of discipline. It is the easy way. Don't take it. The long haul really is better than the shortcuts. He goes on. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. Verse 8. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. And patience is better than pride. When in trouble, the second danger to watch out for is bailing out rather than persevering to the end. See, it's, just, it's not just how you start that matters, but how you finish. 
See, it really doesn't matter how great your wedding was, but 50 years later, are you sitting on that swing together? It doesn't matter how great of a birthday party you pulled off for your one-year-old, but what is your involvement in his or her life ten years later? It doesn't matter that you dedicated your business to the Lord when you first began, but are you running that business with integrity five years later? It doesn't matter how much we brag about what we're going to do. Are we patiently and quietly carrying it out? It tells us there in verse 8. When in trouble are we following through on what we said we would do? The best way out is always through. See it to the end. Wise people persevere and be wiser and stronger for it. Don't bail. Don't bail. There's another danger to watch out for in times of trouble. It's found in verse 9. It says, do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger or exasperation resides in the lap of fools. When our emotions control us rather than the other way around, we will play the part of the fool. Fools are hotheads. The book of Proverbs has much to say to this issue of losing our temper. You know what? I'm not proud to speak of this, but when I was younger, I had a serious anger problem. Many items were lost in that moment of throwing them in anger. Many things broken and smashed and damaged because I was quickly, easily provoked. Only by the grace of God am I not what I used to be. Yet I also know that in the right situation that that anger is still not too far away. It knocks on my door. And the one place it seems to be tested the most is when I'm driving. Ask my wife. No, actually, don't ask my wife. Someone has said the last part of a man to be sanctified is his right foot. (laughs) I mean, how often do I fume behind slow drivers or, or fume at those long red lights or getting cut off and I'm just angry? How often does that happen? More than I care to admit. So impatient behind the wheel, easily provoked. You know, it's pretty bad when my five year old who's in the back seat says to me while I'm driving, she says, move it, mister. (laughs) Now I wonder where she got that from. See, in trouble, the best way out is always through, and wisdom will not be gained if we give ourselves to fits of anger and blowing up whenever we feel like it. I have yet to see a conflict resolved in anger. And some people are always looking for a fight, and to bully others with your anger or get your own way through intimidation or to manipulate outcomes in anger is a danger we must all be aware of when trouble hits because wisdom won't be gained. The angrier you are, the less you're able to maintain a proper perspective. Grab that. Well, there's one more danger that's going to prevent us from moving through the trouble to the end, and it's staring too long in the rearview mirror. It's staring too long in the rearview mirror. Look at verse 10 says. Do not say, do not say, verse 10, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Why is it not wise? Because you only get stuck in the past. There's a time to move on. Wisdom does. 
See, everyone loves the good old days. We have retro music, which are song remakes of the 60s and the 70s. We have a fascination with certain films and TV shows that bring us back to previous decades. I mean, that's why that 70s show is so popular. Even pro sports teams have throwback days where they wear, where they wear uniforms of some earlier decades. We insist that things were better then. We easily fall back to it in the church. Oh, the way we used to do it, right? I fall into it too. Would we really want to return to the good old days? Think about it. A teenage son was heading out the door, and he asked his dad for the keys to the car. The dad looked at his son and noticed his hair was getting rather long. He said, son, it's time to get your hair cut. It's way too long. And the son argued, but Jesus had long hair. <laughs> the father replied, yeah, Jesus walked everywhere he went, too. You don't get the keys. <laughs> Is it really that good? See, the good old days are highly overrated. Warren Worsby says this about the good old days. They are a combination of a bad memory and a good imagination. Wisdom is not gained by staring in the, near, in the rear view mirror for what will happen is you're going to collide with life as it's coming at you. What lies ahead may be hard. Living in this tough time right now may tempt you to want to go back to when, when life was easier. We may like the Israelites who took three steps toward the promised land and then two steps backward toward nostalgia. Forget about today. Folks, today is all we have. So seek wisdom. Seek wisdom more than seeking money, as it says in verse 11. Seek wisdom above all else. It is the only thing that lasts. It will benefit your life. Wisdom will not solve all your problems. It will not smooth out all the bumps in the road, but it will get you through those challenging times, whatever they are. It will enable you to make it through. Wisdom will be your shelter, it says in verse 12. Wisdom will protect you from the pitfalls. And the bottom line that Solomon goes to here is what we find in verses 13 and 14. This ought to be our perspective right here, verse 13. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten out what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, man cannot discover anything about his future. Consider what God has done. God will put blessings in your hands, and that same God will put burdens on your back. When we walk in wisdom, we are able to accept and deal with the good and the bad. That's not encouraging fatalism, but it's learning to accept what comes our way. We spoke of this last week in accepting our lot in life. See, if God wants to keep something crooked, we better learn to accept that and move on. If God chooses to straighten that which is crooked, that's his prerogative, but move on. We cannot control life so that we never have bad days. There are no magical watches. Move on with life. Someone has said three words sum up everything I have learned about life. It goes on. Yes, it does. The question is, are you going on with it? The best way out is always through. And the beauty is, you don't have to go through, at, through it alone. Listen to these words in closing of a poem entitled, Guess. 
He writes, pain knocked upon my door and said that she had come to stay. And though, I would no, though, and though I would not welcome her, but bade her go away, she entered in. Like my own shade, she followed after me, and from her stabbing, stinging sword, no moment was I free. And then one day, another knocked most gently at my door. I cried, no, pain is living here. There is no room for more. And then I heard his tender voice, "'Tis I, be not afraid." And from the day he entered in, the difference it has made. For though he did not bid her leave, my strange, unwelcome guest, he taught me how to live with her. Oh, I had never guessed that we could dwell so sweetly here, my Lord and pain and I, within this fragile house of clay, while years slip slowly by. Let's pray. Lord, no one likes pain. None of us want to welcome that into our lives, but God, that is life. And while we need to be compassionate for one another's pain, oh, please make us compassionate. May we also realize that from your hand, not only are those good gifts that come our way that you put in our hands, there's also burdens that are on our backs. Many times it's self-inflicted stuff. But you allow it to enter in. And I pray that we would find how to live with pain and sorrow and trouble with Jesus. Give us the wisdom we need. Give these individuals here in this congregation the wisdom they need right now to see their way through the difficulty that they're going through. So they become much wiser, stronger, and closer to you on the other side of this pain. Bless them. Help them to persevere to the end for your glory and for your honor in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.